your Bibles tonight, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 22. And, and here, uh, I want to talk about this song that David wrote, that David sings, and it's, I call it the Song of Songs, David's Song of Songs. And think about David. This is a guy who's done it all. Uh, we, we've observed David's life. We've journeyed through a lot of his life here in the Word of God. And it's revealed this man as a shepherd. It's revealed him as a musician, as a soldier, as a king, uh, as a, a singer. As, as we said, he, he writes songs. He sang them. And then, obviously, as a sinner. That David had done a lot in his lifetime. He's been known as the son of Jesse in chapter 16, verse 18 of 1 Samuel. David the king in 1 Chronicles 17, 16. A man after God's own heart in Acts 13, 22. And the sweet psalmist of Israel in 2 Samuel 23, 1. And so this is how David was known. But now David is nearing the end. And we're going to read about that a little bit here. I, I don't, um, we're going to look at this chapter here, chapter 22, but for the sake of time, I'm not uh, going to read all of the verses here, but we'll get to them uh, as many as we can here this evening. Let's just read a few of the verses here, talk about uh, this great song of David. And David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. And he said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. I know you thought I was going to sing this, but I'll pass on that. I'll just read it. I don't remember the tune. The, the God of my rock, in him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my savior. Thou savest me from violence. And I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. When the waves of death uh, compassed me, the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God. And he did hear my voice out of his temple, and my cry did enter into his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of heaven moved and shook because he was wroth. There went up a smoke out of the no his nostrils, and fire out of his mouth devoured uh, coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also, and came down, and dark darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub, and did fly, and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. And he made darkness, pav uh, darkness pavilions round about him, dark waters, and thick clouds of the skies. Through the brightness before him was, were coals of fire kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven. The Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning, and uh, discomfited them. And the channels of the sea, were, uh, uh, sea appeared. The foundations of the world were discovered at the rebuking of the Lord, at the blast of his breath of his nostrils. He sent them from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. I'll stop right there. Again, that's just great to read that again. You see David's love for God, his admiration, his reverence for God, and, uh, and then, of course, God's love for David and all that he was willing to do for him. But David now is coming to the end of his life. 
And the shadows are, are growing longer, you could say, for David. And they begin to take his toll uh, as the great king of Israel. David's not the young man he was. And many of us can relate with that. In uh, chapter 21, he, uh, again, verses, well, let's, let's just read a couple of those verses back in 21. Look at verse 15. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. And David went down and his servants with him, and he fought against the Philistines as David always did. This was nothing new. David, uh, he was a warrior. And, but look what this last phrase is in verse 15, and David waxed faint. Now, that's something different. He's gotten older. And Ishbabinab, and I should, well, whatever his name was pronounced, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, he being uh, girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. This looked like it was over for David here. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, they, uh, secured him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. I think that probably hurt David like being told you can't drive anymore. Uh, you know, I've always said that would be tough for me, I'm sure. I'll give some people a hard time. And, uh, but David can't go to battle. This is something he's done all of his life. He was a warrior. And so the days of battle have ended for David. And uh, his nephew here had to save his life on the battlefield. And uh, they forbid him to go anymore with him. So he knows he's nearing the end. And maybe it was during those long days in the palace that as he began to reflect upon his life and all that God had done for him in his life that this song came about. David has no question about it. He, he's achieved greatness in his life. He was a great man. Just historically, looking back at the life of David, you would have to come to that conclusion. Uh, he has a, he, as a mighty king, he ruled this great kingdom, and he brought peace to this kingdom. They were at peace. And God has given him victory over every enemy around him. Look there again at verse 1. David spake unto the Lord the words of this song, and the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all of his enemies. So David now has brought his kingdom, the nation of Israel, to a place of peace. And it was uh, uh, a great thing. And as David remembered where the Lord found him, um, when he remembered all that God had done for him, he took out his pen and, and he began to write this uh, great song uh, to uh, uh, just honor the Lord and rejoice in his relationship with him. And so, as you may know, this chapter, chapter 22, and again, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read chapter or Psalms chapter 18, but if you will look at them and compare them, they're pretty much the same, and they are identical uh, to one another almost. There's only a few words that are different in the, the two versions there, um, and a, a lot of scholars believe this was David's last song that he ever written, had ever written, so this was the last one. It's kind of like the last words of a great man as he uh, 
and he realizes his life is coming to an end, and he shares these uh, blessings and such uh, with everyone and rejoicing in the Lord. Uh, so it, it's, it's a song of his old age. It's a song of joy. It's a song of victory and, and praise written in, in the days of his life, and as he comes to the end of his life, he still uh, can look back and say, I've run the race well. I've done well. I fought the fight and, and so forth. And so it's the song, again, that um, uh, song of songs for David. And kind of roll, all of his songs, all the psalms, rolled in together in this one uh, chapter and kind of just summarizes it all. But as David writes about his own walk with the Lord, he gives us some insight into our walk with God. And, you know, I remind you tonight that what we have in our relationship with God is real. It's real because, number one, Jesus Christ did rise from the grave. It was not, uh, uh, he did not just faint in the tomb and, and then they brought him back and he was okay. It, it, he died and then he rose from the dead. He had uh, victory over death in the grave. And so because of that, we serve a risen Savior. Our faith is genuine. It's real. Uh, when we pray, we're praying to God. And when, when uh, we are in trials or troubles and we call out to God, he hears our prayers. We have a relationship. Can you believe that? We have a personal relationship with God Almighty. Now, that boggles my mind to think that he would even care for us as an individual, but he does. And he's proven it time and time again. And so David's song is kind of like that where he just is wanting to praise God. And, uh, and I, I'd like to look at this song a little bit here tonight in the time that we have. And, and we will get a glimpse of God in this song. Uh, a God who is worthy of all of our praise. A God who is worthy of all worship and worthy, definitely, of our song. Now, you may not be writing songs, but you ought to have a song in your heart and uh, a song that you want to sing praising God. But David, here he sings of the, good, of the good God that he has, of the God who saves. David begins to write in this song here about a God of salvation, uh, the only one that offers salvation. There is no other God that offers salvation the salvation that God does. And that is seen in verses 2 through all the way down to verse 20. So he sings of a personal relationship. You know, we see David write like that often. I think of Psalms 23, where he says, the Lord is what? My shepherd. I like that because you and I can, can apply that personally as well. If you know the Lord, you could say the Lord is my shepherd. He's my God. He does all these things for me. And it would it, be true. And so, but David sings of that personal relationship in verses 2 and 3. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, uh, the God of my rock. In him will I trust. He's my shield, all these things. Ten times in these two verses, verses 2 and 3, uh, David uses that possessive personal pronoun, my and me. Uh, and again, he's talking about his relationship with God. And, um, and he lets us know that this relationship is a very personal relationship. 
Did you ever know somebody that always tried to impress other people by the people they know? Oh, yeah. I, I remember a guy, uh, he, was, uh, he was an interesting character. He always wore a double-breasted suit and because Dr. Lee Robertson wore a double-breasted suit. And he would always go around and tell people, yeah, Dr. Robertson and I, we're just like this. And Dr. Robertson, believe me, when he met someone, he, he must have had a photographic memory. He always remembered the name, the, who they were, where they're from. Um, and, but the, the, the problem was this guy started, started traveling around and using Dr. Robertson's name to try to get into these different churches. And um, it created some messes, I'll just put it that way. And so, but anyway, he, uh, this, this, David's saying, no, this is not just a, some, someone I know about. No, I know him personally. And that's what he's wanting to know. Uh, he didn't just know about God. He knew God. We all know people who know about God. Uh, pretty much everyone we meet knows about him. But do they really know him? Not if they've not trusted Christ as their Savior. But he didn't live in what others told him. David knew God for himself. And David's use of the words my and me kind of reminds me of a small child. Isn't that some of the first words they learn? Mine. Is this is you know all about me? You know, little children be, do become selfish. That's 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 sin nature. And uh, but anyway, it's it kind of reminds me of seeing David talking like this. And it's uh, it, it seems he seems to have that childlike love for God. He's my God. Uh, and and yet we can say the same thing. That personal relationship is not just something. Uh, only David experienced, but everyone who uh, has that relationship can experience it. In fact, Psalm 18, verse 1, adds this statement, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. Now, the word love in that verse means love deeply, have mercy, be compassionate. It was used, it was used of a mother's love for her baby. And so it, it's, the, it's the image of the mother who is holding that newborn baby and cuddling that baby, that kind of love uh, that we see here, and holding it close to her heart. That it's a, you could say that's a pure love, a mother's love for her baby. And that's the kind of relationship that David had with God. Um, David saying, he's my God. I want to hold him closer to me. I want to have a closer fellowship with him. And... I wonder, do you have that kind of personal relationship with God? Do we, uh, let's compare ourselves with what David had here. We could say, well, David, David, mighty man, a man after God's own heart. David was a, you've already said, he was a great man. But we serve the same God. And God is offering us to have that kind of relationship with him. But do we? Uh, just, just think about that. That's food for thought as we uh, think about a mother loving that child. I remember uh, uh, one time I was in a barn, and there were a bunch of pigs in there, and there was a, uh, a lot of little piglets. And I thought, well, those things are so cute. I don't know. I may have been 12 years old. And I picked up one of those piglets. All of a sudden, it sounded like a bull elephant charging for me. And I turned around, and there was this huge sow. I mean, it was bigger than me by far. I, it, it could have stomped me in the ground. 
thankfully, there was a ladder right there, and I ascended up into the loft, but she was down below just uh, wanting to eat me alive. And, but that's, you know, that's that, uh, an animal who's trying to care for its young. Well, I think it, a human being who has that mother had love for that child would even sacrifice their own uh, for that child. And David had that kind of love for God where he was willing to sacrifice his life for God. And so let's just ask ourselves, what kind of relationship do I have with God? It's not enough to know about him. Do you really know him? Do you know him? It's not enough to know about what others believe about him. Do you know him and have a faith in him for yourself? So you have, have to humble yourself as a child and cling to him by faith. Mildred was showing me a strange video, I don't know, YouTube or whatever. A little girl is at her house, front door. I don't know, maybe some of you have seen it. And a raccoon just latched on her leg and looked like it was trying to chew her leg off. And she was screaming. Oh, you can imagine. That would be pretty scary. Raccoon is a pretty good-sized coon. And it's just chewing on her leg, and she's trying to kick it off. And she's screaming and banging on the door. And finally, Mom comes out there and grabs that coon by the nap of the neck and frees it. Then her daughter was clinging to her leg and wouldn't let go. And, uh, boy, that's the kind of, but that's the kind of way David was. He had all these trials and things, people attacking him and things happening. And then he just learned, I need to cling to God and hold on to him. And then the next picture on that video, I saw that coon flying out through the, in the yard there. But uh, I think the only thing that made it better is the gun. But anyway, um, I, I just see that kind of love that David had for God. Do you have, um, first of all, I know everyone here professes to have a personal relationship with God. You know him as your Savior. But how far has that gone? Has that relationship built since the day you got saved? Uh, you know, we ought to be closer to God today than we were when we first were saved. And we ought to be uh, maturing spiritually and having a greater love. You see, that's the thing about God. You get to know him more, and oh, we get to love him more. And uh, so I would advise, get to know God more. As Paul uh, had that desire to know the Lord, he knew who God was for sure, and he knew him in a, a personal way, but he wanted to know him even in a greater depth of love. And so uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 15, you know, we talked about that love. Do you, and, and can, you, can you look at God and say tonight, he's my God? And um, he is, um, you know, I, I have that personal relationship. Then he sings here of a powerful relationship. Not only was it personal, it was powerful. Look, uh, we, again, we've read these verses, but down verse 2 through verse 7 is where I'm trying to focus on here at this time. David knows the Lord as his Savior. He also knows the Lord as his sanctuary. And God is the place when there's trouble in David's life, when things were happening. God was the place that he ran to. That was his refuge. That was his safe place. Doesn't that make a lot more sense in a room with crayons and Play-Doh? Um, you know, we, we don't need all this psychobabble stuff. What we need is God. And that's what people of our day need as well. But David had it right. When in trouble, when you didn't have the answers, when, in, when afraid, run to God, run to God. 
and uh, God is the place that made the rent. He tells us that God is our, uh, and, and you can see these see these verses here, that he is our rock. What he's saying here, God is my stability. I, he, he, he brings uh, that stability in my life. He's my rock. He's our shield, and he's there to defend off the, the attacks from the enemy. He also is our safety, our fortress. Oh, when I am with God, I am safe. Uh, there is no way the enemy can get to me. He's our security. Uh, he says, the horn of my salvation, or the horn of salvation. And he's speaking there of his, the security that he had in God. You and I have the same thing. We are secure in Jesus Christ. And then he's our high tower. He's, he's my supply of all that I need. And he's our uh, refuge, our sanctuary. He's our savior, the last one he uses there. And so David is saying that the Lord, he is all I need in the time of trouble. God is everything. He's all I need. And so when trouble came, Verses, look at verse 5, when the waves of death compassed me, the floods of ungodly men made, made me afraid, the sorrows of hell compassed me about, the snares of death prevented me. In my distress, what did he do? He called upon the Lord. And what a, an example for you and I. When trouble came, David called on God. What do you do when trouble comes? Do you try to figure it out first? Do you maybe call someone? And I'm not saying those things are necessarily wrong, but honestly, Christian, we should call upon the Lord first and foremost. Is there anything wrong with getting counsel from someone else? Not at all. Very wise to do so. And, um, but, but let's not lean on our own understanding, lean on our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge God as we're uh, admonished to do in Proverbs chapter 3. But then he... Um, when he called on the Lord, God heard him, and God delivered him. Um, he said, I cried to my God there in verse 7, and he did hear my voice out of the, his temple, and my cry did enter into his ears. God, and, and David talks about this in the other Psalms as well, where he cried unto the God, and God, God heard him. You and I, trouble or not, when we pray, when we call out to God, he hears our prayer. In fact, often David his wording to where uh, he, he used the word incline, that God would incline unto him. He would almost bend his ear, giving him full attention and listening to that prayer. God wants our fellowship. God wants us to come to him. And, uh, and that's what David is saying there. There were a lot of times in David's life where the gates of, in some cities, the cities of men were closed to him. Uh, there where places, uh, the entire city was closed off to him. Remember one time, or a couple of times, he was run out of town by King Saul. He was a uh, fugitive, and for all those years, his own son Absalom, later on, when he was on the throne, Absalom tried to take the throne from him, did, uh, as far because David wasn't going to fight his son, and left Jerusalem. And so there were many times where he could not even go to his beloved city, Jerusalem, nor could he uh, run to the tabernacle and find the security there in that place. But even when he was in a cave, hiding out as a fugitive, he could call out to God, and God heard him. Well, that's a blessing. You don't have to come to the church to find God. 
you, you don't have to be in a particular uh, setting or go through some religious rituals to, you know, say, do everything just right, say the right, right words. No, cry out to him. Cry out to him, and he'll hear your prayers. He'll hear you. And that's what David experienced as well. When he may have been shut out by everyone else, heaven was open to him. He had a direct line. And so do you, Christian. We have a direct line to, to heaven. And when he lifted his cry to God, God heard. And here's the, here's the wonderful thing, too. Not only did he hear, but he moved on David's behalf. And God will do the same for you and I. And that's the kind of blessings that all of us should know about who know the Lord as our Savior. His ears are ever open to our cry. Jeremiah said, uh, call unto me and I will answer thee. Or the Lord speaking there. He says, call unto me and I will answer thee and show unto thee mighty things which thou knowest not. And so God says, you call, I'll answer. And Isaiah speaks to that same thing in Isaiah 65. He invites us to flee to him in the hour of trouble. Uh, he, he says, I care for you. Peter said, cast your care upon him. For he careth for you. When troubles come, you can go to God. And when we do, we'll find him to be everything that David said he was. Uh, and in fact, more. He truly is all we need, if we would only learn that. And then he sings of a profound relationship. Uh, down in verse 8, down through verse 20, um, David goes into great detail here as he speaks of how God moved in power to defend him and to sustain him in, in, in his life. And he tells us God worked in miraculous power and time and, and time again God moved in, intervened in the situation that David was experiencing and sustained him. And so uh, God uh, would deliver him from those who wanted to destroy him. You, you know, the wonderful thing is we know that we have an enemy, the enemy, Satan. We know he wants to destroy us. He is that, uh, like a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may devour. But he's limited. Sometimes we get into our minds that uh, we don't have a chance, that everybody's against us. Well, listen, if you and I would learn to just cry unto God and lean on him, when you have God in your corner, you're not in the minority. There's not a power in this world that can stand up against God. And so uh, just trust him. Just look to him. Find your peace, your, your uh, strength. And uh, uh, that's that profound relationship that we have with God and that David experienced. So why did God do this for David? Well, let me read verse 20. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me, here it is, because he delighted in me. That's a, that's a profound statement itself. Think about that. God delighted in David. God delights in you. Really, he, uh, he delighted in David. The word delighted means to take pleasure in. God blessed David. God protected David. God sustained David all because he loved David. And he took pleasure in that relationship that he had with David. Can that be said? Again, uh, just food for thought for your own thinking there. Can that be said of my relationship with God? That God delights in that? Or maybe we haven't really been working on that relationship. Oh, I'm not saying that we're not saved. 
But maybe we are not praying like we ought to. Maybe we're not reading the word like we ought to. And we're not having that communion with God. And so God wants to take pleasure in that fellowship, but it needs to be two-sided. And so God seems to be saying, David is my child. I love him. I want to bless him just because I can. I love him that much. And I'll do whatever I have to do to protect him and provide for him. Now, you know, uh, for your own children, boy, we would uh, fight whoever to defend, to protect our children. Someone comes into your home and trying to harm your family, you're going to use whatever means is available to you, and I would say amen to that, to protect family and because you love them. And that's the way God is. God loves us with a perfect love, unlike our love. God loves us so much. When he sees us, we call out to him, boy, God have mercy on those that are, have risen up against us. God takes care of them, just as he did in the case of David here. And, and he wants to do the same for us. But he took delight in that relationship, and that's profound. Uh, all of those who know God can have that same kind of relationship uh, tonight. And so God will move heaven and earth to meet the needs of his child. You're willing to lay down your life for your own. Well, we are God's children, and he has already proven that he's willing to lay down his life. He's done it uh, for, for us. And, but he's willing to move heaven and earth on our behalf, and if we'll just trust him. Uh, I, I think there's so much proof of that. In fact, in the Word of God, uh, just a few examples. Think about Elijah. Elijah and that widow, uh, they, they were in their last meal, remember? But God just moved in and provided miraculously. Think about the three Hebrew boys thrown into that fiery furnace. Uh, it was over for them. They, they, bravely, they said, we'll not bow to any other image. God is the only God. You can burn us, but we'll not bow. And, but yet, when they were thrown in that furnace, there was a force with them. God was with them. God moved in in a miraculous way there. I think about the 5,000 who were fed that meal that day. Uh, even the disciples said, well, there's no way. We don't have enough money to take care of this. And, uh, and then they almost said sheepishly, well, there's a boy here who has a meal, a lunch. And so God fed them all. Uh, the disciples on that where here some of those men were experienced fishermen, had been in, in, at, at sea and in the storm, but this one must have been a real storm. And they were so afraid. And where was Jesus? Asleep on the back there, his head on a pillow, the Bible says. And they go back there and they wake and say, Jesus, don't you care that we perish? One of the most foolish questions that was ever asked. And I think they, they knew that afterwards as well. Uh, because, of course, Jesus cares. But maybe we have thought that same thing. When the trials of life seem so much upon us, and we think, Lord, don't you care? Don't you hear my prayers? Don't you understand what, the, what pain I'm going through, what hurt, what, what sorrow, whatever it may be? And yes, of course God knows. He knows better than we know. And he loves us, and he wants to come to our aid. But I wonder what kind of, relationship we have with God. And so, you know, this, this is David here, this profound relationship where God protects, provides, sustains him, and God will do that for you. 
That's not a fairy tale. That's real. That is a promise that you and I have as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, in, in, the prom in fact, let me take a moment to read a couple of these. Look with me back to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Just some of these promises. Luke 12 and verse 32. Luke 12 and verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Oh, we have, you know, that's a promise. We don't have to wonder, hope for, think so. We can know that the kingdom is ours, that heaven is ours, and he's going to give it to us. Also, go with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And look at verse, um, we'll read a few verses here. Verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, don't worry about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather unto barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are he not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can, can add one cubit unto the stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the, of, of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, uh, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Take, uh, take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself sufficient under the day is the evil thereof. And so, again, God's promises to us. The Bible's full of them. That, that's why it does us well to fellowship with God by reading his word and be, being given those promises. It'll amaze you. Uh, maybe it won't because you've been doing that. But, you know, you read the word of God, and you see these promises. You see uh, what God wants to do with us. And, and then uh, as you go, I, I think you even mentioned that this morning. You're going through life, all of a sudden that comes to your mind. Maybe you are a little discouraged. Maybe there's some things happening. And all of a sudden that promise, you may not even remember where it is, but you remember what God said in his word, and it brings strength to you. The thought that the God of the universe will uh, condescend, will come down and bless us just because he takes pleasure in us is a thought that's really profound uh, for our minds to grasp. But imagine God taking pleasure in us. Imagine God working on our behalf, uh, moving uh, uh, mountains, meeting me, working things out. Why? Just because he takes delight in you. That's what he did for David. And don't think that you are of any less important importance to God. You're not. You and I are. are uh, God was willing to send his only begotten son to die for us. So he's proven his love. And that's something, David said, I cannot keep quiet about this. 
boy, I, I, I need to sing about this from the mountaintops to let other people know uh, of the great God that I serve. And so he did sing. He did shout. I, I think we need to um, do a little, of that, a little bit of that ourselves. Some of us, we don't thank God. We don't have to sing to, to praise God. But we ought to talk about him everywhere we go. He ought to be uh, just a part of our conversation because of what he's done for us. And we have that fellowship. You know how it is. When you really, you, you remember when you were courting or in a relationship with before you were married and how uh, guys, we would do whatever we could to win that, that uh, girl over. And two hours spending with them was like nothing. And uh, I always wanted to talk with them. We wanted to speak with them. We, we, when we were separated, we, we would uh, maybe write letters maybe, and just because we loved them. Well, how is it with your relationship with God? He loves you, no question about it. But are we showing our love to him? Are we spending time with God? And so God, David, he writes this song, and if, if we have that kind of love for God, then we'll, we'll want to talk about him. You know how it is, uh, grandparents, you have all those pictures of your grandkids. You want to talk about them. You want to share it with everybody because you love them. Well, that'll be that way with God. You're talking to somebody, and just automatically God comes up. Oh, hey, God done this for me. God, and it doesn't have to be forced. It's just a part of your conversation. It ought to be part of our conversation uh, when we talk to people because God is real, because God has changed me. He saved my soul. He has provided for me. He, he has, uh, in the darkest hours of my life, he has been there for me. So let's share him with others. I'm going to cut off right there and find a landing spot, but let me again just ask about your relationship with God. How is it tonight? I'm not questioning your salvation. I just want you to look into your heart and see and ask yourself, is God, is, is he taking delight in the have with him? Or maybe it's kind of one-sided. Maybe God is waiting for you to really uh, fellowship with him. Father, I